Everybody, come grab your seats. Oh, you guys, we've got a great day today. Isn't this amazing to be in the house of God today, to worship Him, to glorify Him? I was just struck again this morning with how worthy our God is. I'm so grateful it's got little to do with me, and it's got everything to do with our mighty God. Amen? That He is always worthy, and we can always worship Him. Um, everyone, my name's Matt. I want to welcome you here to Life Church today. I'm lead pastor, along with my wife Tanya, we get to serve here and love everybody here so much. So grateful to have you with us today. So grateful to be able to share the Word of God. And I always tell people, they say, Matt, what do you like better, leading worship or, or preaching? I said, actually, they're kind of the same to me. Because in both cases, I get to glorify God using a gift or talent that he's given me. And so this morning, we get to go into the word of God. How many are excited to do so? Come on. Amen. And so if you're new here, if you're just visiting us today, again, you're so welcome. Just to bring you up to speed with what our family here at Life Church is doing this summer, is we're actually going through a book of the Bible together. And, and this summer, we're actually going through the book of James and you caught us at a really good time because it's literally the third sermon in the series right now. And we're going to be going through the entire book throughout the summer. Um, it's been awesome so far. We found out that James was the half-brother of Jesus. We found out that he was one of the leaders in the church. Um, I was just talking to Elio the other day, and he was telling me about how James was known as the camel knees guy. He was old camel knees because he would spend so much time on his knees in prayer before the Lord. He was a, a powerful man of God. The book of James um, has also had some controversy surrounding it because a lot of what James talks about is the practical application of our faith about how we act out the things that, that we believe. And how many of you, if you believe something, there ought to be some evidence of that in your life, right? If you believe something, there, there's something that shows in that. Like, like, listen, if I tell you today, hey, listen, I, Matthew Jonathan Jansen, love Tanya Cherie Jansen. Can you tell that by the way that I treat my wife, right? You better, you better see some evidence of that in my life, um, the way that I act and the way that I interact with my wife. And so that's what James is really dealing with here is this idea of, yeah, you say you believe something, but what's the evidence of that in your life? And so we titled the series, James, Faith in Motion. James, Faith in Motion. And we've been asking the question, which is, what is the evidence of faith in your life? What is the evidence of of faith in your life. Throughout the series, we're going to hit on different topics. James does it so well, so practically, um, and so we're going to be hitting on different topics. Last week, we talked about um, faith that endures. We talked about how faith practically works when you're facing trials and when you're, when you're trying to overcome them. Count it all joy, my brother, when you face various trials. The testing of your faith produces perseverance, but let perseverance have its perfect work in you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so we found out last week about how this idea of faith interacts with our lives when we're facing trials, how we can use faith in our lives to help us to, to persevere through and to, to get not only through the trial, but not only, we, last week we learned that trials are not necessarily there to take something away from you, but when God puts you into a trial so that he can give something back to you. Found out about that last week, okay? And then this week, we are moving on, and because we're doing it in an expository way, we're going line by line, verse by verse, we are now in James chapter 1, verse 9. And I thought, well, since we're going to probably have some visitors here today, then, then maybe like a good topic that we should talk about is money. Yeah, I didn't think that one through very well. 
But I am subject to the word of God. And one of the things that we value here at Life Church is the word of God. We build our lives on his word. This isn't about me. This is about his word. And so we are going to continue on in our series today. And if there was a title for my message today, it would be Faith and Finances. Faith and Finances. And so what we're going to do this morning, how we're going to approach this, is I'm going to read the text with you this morning. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, which is going to be up on the screen in just a moment. And then when we're done that, we're going to pray, submit ourselves to his word today, and then I've got a brief message for you, and then we're going to get outside and enjoy some fellowship and some hot dogs and some water balloons, because I could use some water balloons today. It's a hot day. All right, you guys with me? So James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. I will be reading from the New Living Translation this morning, um, and you can also read it on the screen behind me. And this is what it says. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. If I were to ask a question this morning, of you as we approach the scripture, I would ask this question, is there evidence of faith in your life in how you view money? Is there evidence of faith in your life in how you view money? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Your word divides between the soul and the spirit and discerns to the incense of the heart. And Father, this morning we come under the authority of your word. And God, we pray that you would speak through me, Lord God. You would take these lips of clay and you would put your spirit on them, Lord Jesus. And God, you would cause seeds to go forth that would be planted in good hearts and in good soil. God, that our lives could be changed today by your word, Lord Jesus. We thank you that your word will accomplish what it is set out to do and it will not return void. And so, Father, we thank you today for what you're about to speak to us. And we ask it now that you would give us open hearts to receive it. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said... Amen. So, as far as the content of the book, we've just finished reading about trials that we face in life and how our faith can give us the strength and endurance that we need to not only get through the trials, but actually receive something good from those trials. And then James kind of moves on and and twists it and actually kind of almost takes like a left turn. In that sense, the book of James is a lot like the Old Testament book of Proverbs and that different topics are kind of touched on and handled throughout the passage and throughout the book. And so now he's kind of taking a little bit of a left turn, and he's switched gears a little bit, and he's moving over to a new topic, it seems, which is the topic of finances. And as we lay a foundation for what we're about to go through, because what we're going to do is we're going to take this verse by verse, and today we're only going to break it down into two sections, uh, verses 1 through 9, and then uh, 1, 9, pardon me, 1 verse 9, and then 1 verse 10 and 11. But as we kind of build a foundation upon which we're going to view this today, we have to start with some basic ideas about God and about the economy of heaven. We have to build a little bit of a foundation because one of the things that we know about life and about money in particular is that um, money, or the lack of it, has a natural ability to create lines of division among groups of people. How many know that to be true? Throughout history, we've seen this societal gap between the the very wealthy 
and the very poor. This has been consistent throughout history. It seems like there are those that have a lot and those who do not have a lot. A lot of these are seen in the the class systems that still exist throughout various communities today. Um, The gap between the rich and the poor. But in the economy of heaven, the concept of the difference between the rich and the poor is an earthly perspective. We have to begin this discussion with the one that we serve, who is God. Now, I didn't write this down up here, and I'm just going to speak to you briefly about this idea, and then we're going to dive back into it. But the Bible tells us that it's God who gives you the ability to get wealth that he might establish his covenant with us. See, God owns everything. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. God owns everything. Psalm tells us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If he was hungry, he wouldn't tell us because he has everything. God owns everything. In him, all things consist. He has all the wealth and he has everything that he needs. So the economy of the kingdom of God is actually the great equalizer. It sees things differently than we see things here on this planet. When we approach the scriptures, one of our our, our principles of interpretation is that the scriptures, we use the scriptures to interpret the scriptures. And so as we approach the scriptures, we have to have this biblical uh, foundational mindset so that we can understand maybe where James might be coming from. Because in the economy of the kingdom, there is an equal equality. It's this big idea here. that It falls into this concept that the one who unites us is greater than anything that divides us. He is God. Amen? So he is greater than any racial divide. He's greater than any cultural divide. He's greater than any economic divide. He is God. And the one who unites us is greater than the things that divide us. We see a a little smattering of this in Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians in uh, chapter 3, verse 26, where he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Again, that would be, I would say, poor and wealthy. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. You see, we all approach God the same way, as beggars before his throne. And God responds to us with grace, and he lifts us up, and he elevates us, and he gives us a position of purpose because he is God. Again, the one who unites us is greater than anything which divides us. And so as we approach the scripture, we have to view it as if we're putting on glasses. And the lens of those glasses is the lens of the kingdom. The lens of God. The way that he sees us. So now let's break this down. Y'all with me? Now that we have those lenses on, let's break this down. James chapter 1 verse 9. Believers who are poor have something to boast about. For God has honored them. You see, as James saw it, Christianity brings every man what he needs. Those who are poor are automatically given a promotion in the kingdom. Automatically. See, it doesn't matter what your financial status is in the sight of God. 
The economy of God works differently. For those who have found, uh, and a lot of this has to do with this idea, as we're talking about this idea of wealth today, of finding your identity in wealth. I, I, there's a few things I do want to say also before we continue with this. First of all, it's not about whether or not you have money. It's whether or not money has you. And can I just say this as well? Because we're talking about money. You're like, oh yeah, the church is just all about money, right? You guys are just going to take up an offering at the end of this, right? And ask us all to give our money. No, no. Listen, God doesn't need your money. He's after your heart. That's what he's after. I just had to say that briefly before we continue here, okay? God's after your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart. Uh, where your heart is, there your treasures will be also. Pardon me. Matthew chapter 7. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Pardon me. We'll get that right. We'll get that right. <laughs> um, Matthew chapter 7. So, anyways, um, continuing on. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. So, William Barclay mentions three areas where the poor were exalted in the kingdom of God, in kingdom living, okay? And, and there's three areas he mentions. The first one is um, they, were, they were lifted up in the church, Anyone from any social status can minister the gospel. Anyone. Romans 12, verses 3 through 5 says this, For I say to you, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of themselves more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to the very wealthy people a measure of faith. No, that's not what it says. For God has given to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So the first place that God honors people is in the church. Man, I, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your social economic standing in the, the world around us. When you come into the church, this is a place where God has a plan for you. God wants to use you for his glory. There are gifts and talents that he's deposited in you that get to come out in this place. And in the church, the, 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 the poor are exalted and honored. The other place that we find this is in the world. Every Christian has a task and purpose in the world. Every Christian the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the, the great commission that God gave to his disciples. And his disciples were tasked with going out and, and re recreating themselves in others around them. And then, and then that began to grow from there. And it went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And this got reproduced in many people around the world. This call to go out and preach the gospel. And it echoes to today. We are all called to be ministers of the gospel. Did you know that? God is the great equalizer in that every one of us, the Bible says that he's reconciled us to himself and given us a ministry of reconciliation. Turn to the person beside you and say, you're a minister. You're a minister. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. You might say, well, Matt, no, I'm not a minister. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually a ditch digger. Okay, but guess what? God's put you there strategically 
because you're going to have access and influence in people around you that I would never be able to talk to. You're a minister of the gospel. Right? You may say, well, man, I, I'm not even, I don't even have a job. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Okay, guess what? Ha-ha. <laughs> you got the, the ministry of ministering to your kids and their friends. And you're going to have access to moms and other people that, that I'll never have an opportunity to talk to. Because God has called you to be a minister of the gospel. He elevates you into a position of purpose. Do you understand that? Do you hear that? And number three, God. Three areas where the poor are exalted. God exalts us. God established your value on the cross. He didn't discriminate. Okay, I'm dying for the wealthy. No, he didn't do that. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for the very wealthy. No. That he might taste death for everyone. Jesus died for everyone. There's a famous quote here from um, a, a, a scholar who existed about a couple hundred years ago. His name was uh, Meredith. And he says this, call no man worthless for whom Christ has died. Call no man worthless for whom Christ has died. So we see here that, that, that the poor are exalted. How are they exalted in the kingdom? They're exalted in the church. They're exalted in the world. God has a purpose and a plan for them, a place for them to, to, to go out and to reach people for him. And finally, they're exalted in him. God has lifted them up. He's come, and, and, and God, who is the ultimate, who owns everything, who has everything that he could ever want, humbled himself and came in the form of a servant and died a horrible death and then rose from the dead so he can carry us up with him as well. He exalts us. He exalts the poor. Amen? Okay, now we move on to the next part. James chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. We're doing good, guys. We're doing good. I, I'm watching the clock. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. All right. And they will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. I'm going to read this quote to you now. William Barclay says this, A man who puts his trust in riches is trusting in things which, are ch which the chances and changes of life can take from him at any moment. I'd like to propose this to you this morning. I think oftentimes when we read passages like this, we think, okay, so I guess what he's saying is poor, good, riches, bad. But I think it's much more nuanced than that. And when I see the scriptures coming, I like to, to read the scriptures and understand the grace of God. And so this is what I'd like to say to you. I don't believe that James is coming after the wealth of the rich, but he is graciously revealing truth that will sustain them. This is like a warning cry that's saying, hey, don't put your hope in your riches. Don't build your life upon your RRSPs. Don't build your life upon your savings plan or your real estate investment. Because let me tell you what I've seen in the world is that those things as easily or as hard as they can come to you, they can easily be taken away. The gracious warning is, don't allow yourself to put all your trust and hope in your wealth. See, there, there's a cycle that's mentioned here. The cycle is this idea of it rises, 
it withers, it droops, it falls, and it fades away. And I think we can see evidence of this in our lives. You know, there's, there's many things that we find great value in in a season that over time tend to devalue. And a lot of treasures that we saved up for and planned for are now in the garbage dump. Case and point. Anybody else? This, for those of you who are below the age of 20, is a disc man. And when I was a kid, there was great value in a disc man. I mean, I worked a lot of shifts at McDonald's because my goal, I, love, I was a musician, and I was like, I got to get myself the best of the best. And so I saved up my money, and I went out and bought myself a Sony disc man. And this, mine was even cooler than this. Mine, you guys, mine had um, uh, shockproofing on it. That meant that I could play basketball with one hand and carry my disc can in the, in the other one, and it wouldn't shock, when I, it wouldn't skip when I was running. It had a bass boost. Because it's not real music, but it doesn't have some good bass coming in underneath. You know what I'm saying? And it had these little thingies on the side that would lock it shut so that the disc would stay in. And if I dropped it, it would actually, like, you know, it wouldn't fall out. And I think it was even waterproof. And I saved up for this thing, and I put my savings into it. I worked hard to try and save up for this disc man. Well, guess what? I have no idea where my disc man is today. After all that hard work, it faded away. And now I can keep all my songs right here. Right? There's things that we place immense value in that in reality are going to fade away. There's this, there's this law... Um, in science called the second law of thermodynamics. I love to reference it because it says this, that any system left to itself will spiral into entropy. That means that anything that is left without management and oversight will fade and fall apart. We see this in my daughter's room. If Tan's not on it, then you know it. There's going to be like a, you know, a maze to get through to her bed. But when we're on it, we can clean it up. And we can fix it up. And what God does is he restores. He takes things that are broken and have fallen apart, and he restores them back into right, rightness. That's what God does. But what I'm trying to say here is that the rich who boast in their things, don't boast in your things. This is the warning. This is the gracious warning. Don't find your faith and your hope in your things. Because just like the flower of the field, just like the disc man, they will fade away. They will fade away. Nothing lasts forever except for him. So what is a faith-filled perspective on finances? If we're referencing this idea of a flower that fades away, it's, it's likely that James might have been referencing a passage from the Old Testament. And the question is, if we're not going to build our lives on our finances, what do we build our lives on? And I think it's answered here in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 and 8. And it says this, the voice said, cry aloud. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness like a flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. 
So just as the poor are honored in the kingdom when they build their lives on a foundation of the word of God, so too the rich have a gracious perspective about their wealth when they build their lives upon the whole truth of the word of God. Here's the warning, church. Don't build your life on the fragments of truth. Don't build your life on your wealth. There's a, another passage here from Matthew um, where Jesus talks about it from the perspective of, of building a house. And he says, who, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I would like him to, him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. What is the rock? The rock is, 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 is the whole truth. It's the word of God. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And what is the sand? It's fragments of rock. Little bits of truth. Little bits of what we think is good and what we want to do and our thing and whatever we want to do and how we're going to build our own RSP and how we're going to plan for our own. We're going to do everything that we need to do and how we're going to build this and we're going to do that and we're going to go here. No, no. Build your life upon the whole truth of the word of God. Amen? So here's how we're going to close today. And this is how we're landing this plane. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to have three questions here of self-reflection as we close the service. And I'm going to ask the question, are you building your financial life on the rock? Again, the big question we ask today is, is there evidence of faith in your life in how you view money? And so as we close today, I'm going to ask you three questions that I'd like you to very quietly in your own heart ask yourself. Questions of self-reflection. Number one, if you were to lose it all, could you still say, I love you, Lord? Matthew 6 verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And there's this quote that I found. I, I, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it says, Never bless me beyond my capacity to contain my love for you. Again, it's not how much money you have. It's how much money has you. Does money have your heart or does he have your heart? Does God have your heart? Number two. Can you truly say that the Lord is your portion? Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says this, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regarding to need, for I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's the word here again? If you're poor, God is exalting you. If you're rich, don't build your life upon your wealth. He's graciously humbled you to realize that what you need is him. Amen? Last one. Is your soul prospering? Third John 1, 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, 
just as your soul prospers. Life Church, that's my prayer for you today. Visitors, that's my prayer for you today. I pray that you would prosper in your business. I pray that you would prosper in your marriage. I pray that you would prosper in your family. I pray that you would prosper in your purpose. And I pray that you would be of good health. But even as your soul prospers, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? And as we close today, this is a question that has been on my heart. I've been asking myself this question a lot over the last little bit, which is, is my soul prospering? And so I'll tell you what, I pray for you that you would prosper, but I'll, I, and I'm going to pray this for you too, but I'm also going to pray for myself. God, let my soul prosper. Isn't that what we're all after anyways? Isn't that what we're chasing and, and finding, trying to find in, in the, the temporary things of the world around us? This soul prosperity, the sense that everything is okay, that God's got us, we can walk in peace and shalom, we can walk in rightness with him. Church, I pray that you would prosper in all things. And I pray that you would be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close today by praying that very prayer. And then um, I just wanted to say before I do that, if you today need personal prayer, okay, if you've never received Jesus in your heart, if you don't even know what that means and you'd like to find out more about that, we're going to have some prayer warriors standing by right on the other side of the speaker, right over here, and they're going to be standing there by that red line and if you need prayer today for anything in your life, we want to have a place and a space for you where you can receive prayer this morning. Um, and so that's, that space is available. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Um, as I pray and I close the service today, I'm also going to pray for our barbecue that we're about to have. And I just wanted to, again, extend the invitation. If you didn't know about it, you're all welcome to stay. We've got enough food for everybody. We'd love it if you would. We're going to be meeting right around the corner in the courtyard. And it's going to be an awesome time. Again, we got some hot dogs barbecuing out there, and we got some food and some drinks, and, and there's a lot of tables you can sit at and get to know some people and have some good fellowship. Uh, we're going to have some music out there and, um, and a few games as well. So we'd love it if you could stick around for that. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and pray for you as we close this service today. All right, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Again, we come under the authority of your word, Lord Jesus. We thank you that today you have honored the poor. God, you have lifted up and exalted the poor, Lord Jesus, beyond their station. Because in you, Lord God, in you, Lord God, there's neither Jew nor Greek, Lord God. There's neither slave nor free, Lord God. We are all one in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that. We thank you also for reminding us who are rich, Lord Jesus, God, that, that we do not need to find our, our purpose and our identity in, in our wealth, Lord God. A reminder, a gracious reminder Lord God, that our hope and our purpose and our peace is found in you. And God, we pray that if our lives have been misoriented, Lord Jesus, if we've been facing in the wrong direction, if we've been attaching ourselves onto the wrong things, that you would help us today to set our minds on things above, where you are seated, Lord Jesus. And help us, Lord God, to keep a heavenly perspective. God, and help us, Lord God, today to set our minds on you, Lord God, and build our lives upon your word. Father God, we pray that in Jesus' name. 
We pray that you would convict us and help us to change and to move towards you today. Father, I pray for each one, God, that they would prosper in everything that they do. I pray that they be of good health, Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray, Lord God, today, Lord Jesus, that they would prosper even as their souls prosper. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen. And now my beautiful wife is standing here. It means she has something that she needs to say. Just a little bit more um, instructions for the barbecue. Um, but we want you all to stay. There is so much food for all. It doesn't matter. So please stay. So through those double doors, so right after the service, unless you're like on teardown or cleanup, please stay and help us with that. But if you're not, you can just, we don't have coffee this morning in the foyer. We just go straight through the doors. To your right, there is shade. And there are picnic tables, and there are, and if you brought some uh, lawn chairs, you can bring those too, because there's like, there's like, quite a few picnic tables, but we have a free hot dog barbecue, there's chips, there's cold drinks, there's going to be ice cream later, we have some planned games, we have a water balloon toss for everyone, kids and adults, we have some kids planned games, so this is like, going to be kind of, this is like taking the place of our church picnic, we wanted to do it here so we don't lose any of you in the in-between, so we just said, right here after, we're going to have like a big party, a big barbecue, so please stay, just go through those doors to your right, and you will find all the food. The smell will drive you. We've got a bouncy castle. We've got basketball. We've got cornhole. It's going to be a great time. Stay, linger as long as you want. All right? And then afterwards, we do have a chore for any strong um, strong people. We need to carry all our old, heavy chairs <laughs> that are in a storage unit over here back to Life Center. So if you can stick around afterwards. Oh, you're correct. There's food. All perfect food. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for everyone that is here with us. God, I just pray that you bless the food. I pray that there would be connections, there would be relationships built, and we just have a great time in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you, church.